So when I was 10 years old, I got a concussion in gym class by running into a pull-up bar. Um, well, hold up. So like, yeah, um, hold up, hold up. So like, you know, like in gym class when like you're running around that little track and it's like, you're, you're doing the, you're, you're doing the, va the, the valet jog. It's like here. I, I opted out of gym class. <laughs> so gym, <laughs> I took it online. Gym class is where I thrived. And so I was also six foot six as an eighth grader. And so they thought I was going to be like the next LeBron James. And it was just downhill from there. But I'm sorry. It happens. Um, but I was talking to this kid who was running next to me and I was looking to my right and down because he was 5'2 and I was 6'6. Six, six. And like I was running underneath the pull-up bar and as I was looking, I didn't even see it. And I ran right into it, completely knocked me out, down for the day. And like, if you ever wonder why every tall person ducks, when they walk underneath a doorpost, or like they like, duck when they walk into an airplane. <laughs> That's the reason. Um, like you were KO'd. K KO'd, done, knocked out. Like I didn't do a, wow. I didn't do a pull up for three years. Was this like a heaven and back story? <laughs> you know, like. So I met like, God. Do we need to, um, Do we need to write a book? <laughs> it could be a prosperity <laughs> gospel book because I, I pulled up my way to heaven. <laughs> So if you want to give to this cause, Venmo yeah. me. <laughs> Dang. So wait, so you hit a pull-up bar that was like suspended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one of the ones with like the blue mats on the wall that you do like the testing in school. Um, no, I don't know. Yeah. I also I have an anime shirt on. I also never passed the sit and reach in gym class. I was never, <laughs> I was really good at the sitting. I never got to zero on the reach. <laughs> The fitness gram pacer test. Yeah, so man, I have a <laughs> lot of PTSD from gym class. Man, um, I'm sorry. And with that being said, welcome. So, <laughs> <laughs> how did this influence your relationship with the Lord? I think we should dive into this a little bit more. Uh, look, it, Jesus, Jesus knew before the foundation of the world that Reagan Jones was going to be just tall enough to be KO'd by an eighth grade pull up bar. Yeah. It's it's my Damascus phenomenal. Road. It's my Damascus Road moment. Um, <laughs> you were blind for yeah. a week. <laughs> the, the Lord blinded me in that moment. <laughs> well, welcome back to our podcast. I won't say yo 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 today. I'm very proud It'll of just you. be a boring old intro. Um, we're gonna lose a ton of viewers today. So, welcome back to our podcast. My name is Victor, student pastor at a local church in North Carolina. And my name is Reagan Jones, also a student pastor at the same church in North Carolina. And welcome to Sanctified-ish, conversations with pastors who just haven't figured it out. Um, and Vic, this is, a, this is a special episode today because I feel like this is one of the few episodes where we'll get to dive into more seminary life because like, yeah, yeah, like yes, we're pastors. Yeah. Um, we're guys in our mid twenties. Like we've talked about the twin bed. Like this is, this is one of those topics where we're going to talk about like, what does it mean to lose Jesus in our theology? Mm. Um, yeah. that I get, we get, we get to put our seminary hats on. We get to put our theology hats on, um, and really wrestle through this topic of what it looks like to lose Jesus in our theology. Yeah. And man, this is this is something that I think you're right. I think this is super prevalent, especially for seminary students. And this is like, this is something they tell you in seminary orientation. I remember sitting down in Southeastern's chapel with Danny Aiken on the stage saying, at seminary, the temptation for you is going to be theological knowledge over Jesus. And I remember hearing that. And I remember saying, okay, I, I could see how that would be a temptation. I got this. Like, 
I can do this. Thank you for the warning. Thanks for the heads up, Doc. I appreciate it. And then not even three weeks later, I'm over here talking about some theological concept that in retrospect, like means it has very little impact on day to day Christian living and Christian ministry. And I've totally neglected for three weeks straight my time with Jesus. Yeah. And so while I do think this is something that applies specifically to seminary students, I also think that this can apply to people who aren't in seminary just in maybe a little nuanced way, right? Because we lose Jesus in everything, right? And for us in our context, we lose Jesus in the fact that the Bible becomes our textbook. The Bible might not be your textbook, but work might be really consuming. Work might be crazy busy. Life might have you in a stage that is overwhelming and you lose Jesus in those things. And so hopefully you'll be able to take some of the things we talk about today and contextualize them in a way that is more appropriate for your situation. Well, you want to know why this isn't just for seminary students, because this is something that I tell my middle schoolers every single Sunday. Like one of the things that I tell them on a consistent basis is I tell them like, I don't care if you can quote John three 16, if you don't know Jesus. And especially for like a, a highly, highly, we're in the Bible belt. So like everybody's grown up Christian. So like they know John three sixteen, they know theological knowledge. Like I heard the best explanation of the Trinity from a sixth grade boy who was picking his nose 10 minutes earlier. And then he just like whipped it out and here, here's a trick. And like, that's middle school ministry. Yeah. But yep. if middle schoolers struggle with it, it's not just for the people that are pursuing like pursuing PhDs and MDivs and stuff like that. Like this is something where like we lose Jesus in politics, we lose Jesus in the church, we lose Jesus in our theology, and so like we there's a song called Jesus at the Center of It All, um, and so that is basically meant to be the, the the whole point of this episode where it's like man is he the center of our theology is he the center of our politics is he the center of of whatever we are doing um, and whether yeah. you are a middle schooler or a seminary student I don't care if you can quote John three sixteen if you do not know Jesus yeah I mean this this might take a left turn and so I won't take it as far down this tangent as as I probably could but like Satan knows more Bible than any of us ever will. Right. The demons knew Jesus when people in the world couldn't identify him. Right. Like they, they knew just by looking at him. Wow. That is the God of the universe. There, there is knowledge that exists outside of Christianity that can be known by non-believers. Non-believers can memorize John three 16, believe it or not. Right. But do non-believers have a deep walk with Jesus? Yeah. That's what needs to be true about us. And then hopefully as an overflow of that, we know Jesus through the memorization of his word, right? Yep. But memorizing scripture doesn't necessitate a deep walk with Jesus. Just means you might have a pretty good memory, right? Which good for you. That's awesome. But we can often use that as an excuse not to dive deep with Jesus. 100%. 100%. Um, yeah, that's going to be a lot, a lot of the focus of the podcast today. Um, and so Vic, I think even like centering on in theology right now, um, what are some ways that we have kept Jesus very central in discussing? Cause I, I know, especially from like a, a seminary perspective, I know that I've gotten in arguments over theology and I've lost Jesus because yeah. I've lost the side of the person who is made in the image of God. I've gotten arguments with non-believers and the same aspect. 
So when we're discussing yeah. theology, when we're talking theology, when we're practicing theology, how exactly do we keep Jesus at the center of that? I think, because here's the thing. When we talk about theology, we should, like, we should be enamored by theology. It should be beautiful to us. We should love to study, study scripture and know Jesus better. But when that happens out of a desire for us to have more knowledge rather than a desire to know Jesus better, we have gone, we've gone the wrong way. And so studying theology, knowing scripture, understanding some of the mysteries of the Bible happens out of an overflow for, from a deep walk in love with Christ rather than, man, I'm just smart right? There are a lot of smart people that are not Christians, yeah. right? So we want our theology to be an overflow of our walk with Jesus yeah, rather than an overflow of whatever knowledge we think we might have. Because I'll tell you what, when I was uh, a junior in high school, I had just read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. I had been given, it was a, it was a birthday gift. Wayne Grudem's <laughs> Systematic Theology was a birthday gift. And looking back across my life, that was still to date one of my favorite birthday gifts. You are gifts, predestined right? to be my a mentor, pastor. <laughs> honestly, right? And I remember sitting in class at school with this big book on my desk. Right. Bigger than the Bible, unless you have like massive font, John MacArthur, like old person Bible. Right. This Wayne Wayne Grudem systematic theology is a fat book. Right. I remember sitting there in class in calculus, reading the book, getting in trouble from my teacher about reading, reading this theology book. And I enjoyed getting in trouble. Right. I enjoyed getting in trouble because it brought attention to me. Was I even reading the book? I don't know. Yeah. I wanted to get in trouble so that everyone in that classroom looked at me. Man, that's a big book. What is he studying? What is he reading? Like, I want to know more. He's pretty cool, right? And so from a from be, before I was even in ministry, mm-hmm. before I was even in seminary, I was so enamored with the concept of people knowing me for how smart I was rather than people knowing me for having a deep walk in love with Jesus. Do you remember that video from back in the day? It's a playoff of I like big butts and I cannot lie. And it's like this like old VeggieTales <laughs> Christian, like I like big Bibles and I cannot lie. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just imagining you and like a pleated button up shirt with your big systematic with, theology Bible. Like uh-huh. <laughs> with my big eyes just sitting there. Man, just like, I like big Bibles. and <laughs> Yeah, look at look at big bible okay he got a big bible like (laughs) but i think the point of what you're trying to say there is like it's also not anything new if you look to scripture it's what the pharisees did as well where it's like paul he talks about like if i have any reason to boast like it's me i am like the hebrew of hebrews i have the degrees i have the status but i count it all dung like the word there is dung so it's not just trash like it's literal crap He's like, I count it all as crap compared to the worth of knowing Jesus, not intellectually knowing him, but knowing him personally. And I think that's the tension to hold because for so long, the church has thrown the brain away. And it's like, that's not what, that's not what we're saying either. Like Romans 12, two says you can be, you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
So it isn't putting your right. mind on a pedestal where like Vic is saying, like, I have all this knowledge. I have all this, these arguments, like nobody has ever been debated into the kingdom of God. Um, yeah, it is, it is a transformed by the renewal of your mind where your mind now sees things from a different perspective and understands things from a different perspective because of the renewal that has come in your heart. Um, yeah, and I think that's an important thing to hold in tension when we're talking about Jesus and theology and, and, and the pursuit of our mind. Yeah. And like, I, I feel like we have to restate this over and over and over again. The desire to know more about Jesus, the desire to grow in your understanding of theology is good. It's good. If it's that good. is, if, if that is where you're passionate about, if that's where you enjoy, if that's where, if, if that gives you a deeper love for Jesus, man, chase run after it. But it so quickly becomes about me rather than Jesus. And that was the biggest struggle for me walking into seminary. It was the Bible became a textbook rather than a relationship with God. Yeah. It, it, be, it, it was no longer me getting to know Jesus better. It was no longer me spending time with Jesus. It was me reading the Old Testament in a semester because that's what I had to do. Yeah. And I'm not placing the blame on seminary there. There are a lot of things about seminary that I could complain about and be unhappy with, and that could be one of them. But ultimately, the responsibility for that falls on you, not the school. They want you to be in your Bible, right? And so if they assign it, they assign it. I tell my students at church, hey, let's read Colossians this week. It's four chapters. Let's get at it. That's no different than my Old Testament professor wanting me to read the Old Testament. Because he wants me to love Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. While you're saying that, I'm also convicted that I haven't done my Old Testament homework for the week. So, <laughs> like, burn. As, as you're saying that, I'm like, crap, I need to go do my homework. Um, I got to catch up on that reading. Because on the exam, he's going to say, what percent of the Old Testament have you read? Dude. And you better put 100%. Dude, that's. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. This is confession time. I'll never forget the first time I lied on like a seminary exam where they're like they'll they'll ask like, have you completed? Like it's not just like a yes or no question. It is like under the authority of God in heaven with all of his might, have you completed a hundred percent of the reading? And I'm like, nah, bro, I skimmed it. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's like that one question is 99% of your grade for that quiz. And so I'm like, I either get a zero or I lie that I skimmed the reading. So I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry, Lord. Yep. I, 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 per, I perused every single word of that. Um, I had, I had the best professor at Trinity College of Florida. I'll never forget him. His name was Dr. Parsons. He was an incredible Old Testament professor. He was the hardest Greek professor. Like, Dr. Black's Greek is much easier in comparison to Dr. Parsons' Greek. It was a hard class. And I have one of one of my really good buddies in Old Testament class put that he read 100% of the Old Testament. And never he do left. That. Never do that. He was so convicted <laughs> that he turned around, went back into Dr. Parsons' room, got stung by a bee in the classroom as he was walking back in to confess his sin, confessed 
Dr. Parsons fixed the grade. So he had to get stung by a B <laughs> and get his grade lowered. If he would have just been honest, he would have never gotten stung by a B. If, so if that ain't judgment, I don't know what is. Like that's like look at God. Pestilence and swarms and <laughs> plagues upon you and your household. Um but I think like but, what what you're saying yeah, right. what you're saying is very real because like I remember um I'm a public school kid. I grew up in public school. Yeah. I I did not take a Bible class until I was 18 years old in college. I also didn't grow up with a student ministry. Um, so we were at a church plant at the time. So like the student ministry that I was a part of was just me and my sister. <laughs> and so, yeah. and like, I didn't, I wasn't <laughs> surrounded um, with Christians per se um, until I went to college. And then the Bible became my textbook. Um, yeah. And then, then I went to a seminary and then now I work in a church. And so, man, I look back at like the last seven or eight years of my life and I have been steeped so deeply inside of a Christian bubble. And it's not a bad thing. Like th yeah. there are good things about it. Like it has drawn me closer to the Lord. Like it's brought me really good Christian community. Like there are wonderful things about it. The problem with that is like, I remember people in college and I, I did this all the time. Um, we call them bedside Baptists where we had chapel three times a week and we, we yeah. wouldn't go to church on Sunday because we went to chapel three times a week. And I'm like, it's, it's when the, it's when the work of school or when the Bible becomes homework or when chapel becomes church that now we neglect to go to the secret places and spend time with Jesus, or we neglect to be part of community in a church. And yeah, man, th that's just something that I'm like, I've, I've felt that and I've wrestled with that. Um, it's yeah. hard. Yeah, it's really hard. And it's really interesting to hear your background of student ministry, too, because mine is the complete opposite. I grew up in a student ministry from fifth until 12th grade or sixth until 12th grade because my student ministry was normal. Um, that was really strong. I had great community. Yeah. My student pastor is still one of my best mentors, uh, uh, Daniel Duncan. I love him to death one of the most influential people in my life. I was surrounded by really good community. And what I noticed probably in my ninth, ninth to 10th grade year was when I started to become really serious in my relationship with the Lord. I'd gotten a mentor. I'd started being poured into, and I started to grow exponentially in my understanding and knowledge of Jesus, yeah. which is not a bad thing in itself. It's great. And what's what had happened was and I'm not this is not me bragging. This is me confessing in a lot of ways was that I became the knowledge cornerstone for the students in that ministry. Someone had a question. They came to me. Someone needed help with something. They came to me. They asked me to start a Bible study and we met every Thursday night for three years. No one led it. Guess who led it? Right. I became the like theological corner of the student ministry. And then I graduated and then I came to Southeastern hmm. and I got punched in the face <laughs> because I came into Southeastern thinking, man, I'm gifted. I'm talented. Yeah. Like I got all the answers to all these hard questions. Everyone wanted to know me and my student ministry. That's how it's going to be here. Yeah. And I cannot tell you how humbling we talked about it last episode. God resists the proud. That was the season of my life where God was resisting me nonstop. Mm -hmm. 
I was I was humbled beyond belief in class. I thought I had all the right answers would answer up yeah. in front of everyone because I knew it and I'd get shut down by professors, by other people in my class. Yeah. And at the time I was like, man, they're harsh, but I'm so thankful for that. Yeah, because now in my season of life here, I haven't perfected it. I'm still a seminary student. I still struggle with this, Yeah, but I'm in a far better place than I was four years ago. And much of it was to do with God resisting the pride that I had garnered in my heart yeah. over my time in high school. Yeah. And like you look back and I'm like, man, I was stupid. <laughs> like I was so dumb in high school. Thank goodness for sanctification. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like we should make a podcast about that. That's kind of crazy. Reagan, that's a great idea. Let's do it right now. Let's do it. What should we call it? Um, well, bro, I, I love that. So even like thinking on theology, um, theology in, in and of itself is just literally like the pursuit of God. It is the thinking of God. It is like, you do not have to be in seminary to do theology. Like if you have thought, oh, who puts the stars in the skies? You have done theology. Um, and I think this is like we, I fell into this in high school and I feel like a lot of Christians, we fall into this as well, where theology fails to be a pursuit of God and it turns into a weapon against another person. Um, oh, that's good. And this, that's good. Dude, this is like, I remember in high school, like, um, she's still like a good friend of mine. She's actually like the only person that I still talk to from high school. Um, but I was a Christian. She was an atheist. And we would sit at the lunch table every single day. And dude, I look back and like, honestly, I'm ashamed because all I did was debate and argue and point. And I was like, man, if I had my three points ready, I wasn't looking to show her Jesus. <laughs> I was looking to beat her down with an argument. And yeah. I'm yeah. like, praise God for grace because like, it is not dependent on me. It is not dependent on 25 year old Reagan. And it is for sure not dependent on like 15 year old Reagan. But I'm like, man, like there are, <laughs> because like there, there, there are so many, so there's so many of us that I'm like, man, when theology fails to be a pursuit of God and we take it now to be a weapon to show another person how wrong they are, whether they are an unbeliever or, or to show another believer how wrong they are and why we get it right. Yeah. And that's why you see like, yeah. I mean, say what you want about the Mormon church. There's one Mormon church. There's how many yeah. different splits and churches going this way. How many Baptist organizations, how many different Methodist churches, like every, every day I feel like there is a, a new argument, a new split. And some of it's valid. Yeah. Like we look at the Protestant Reformation, that's a split that needed to happen over doctrine, over like the theology yeah. of the gospel. Oftentimes it's like, dude, I don't like the way you dress the fellowship hall. And like, yeah. here's my bumper sticker verses to tag to that. Man, I'm gonna take these three people and I'm going down the road. And I'm like, does- I don't like the new color of the carpet. Yeah, and like, yeah. is that edifying? Is that showing people Jesus? Is that a pursuit of God intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, or are we taking theology and making it weapons to beat other people down? Yeah, that's so good. And and this is not to say that there aren't some things that need to be defended to the point yep. of like we have to defend this to the death. The, the right? Reformation. Like we're talking about like the the Reformation. The we're talking about things that involve the gospel. Yeah. We're talking about things that like uncompromising things of the Christian faith. Yeah. We should fight for those things, but we don't fight for them 
to puff us up. We fight for them because they are true about God, true about who he is. And because we know and love him, we fight for those things. And if you want to talk about who Jesus is real quick, Jesus simultaneously pursued unity and he simultaneously stood up for the scriptures. And we, yeah. we choose. I mean, look at how he dealt with Pharisees yes. across the board. We right. We choose one <laughs> of the two, and we say, "I'm either yeah. going to pursue unity at the sake of doctrine, or I'm going to pursue doctrine at the sake of unity." And neither one of those is correct, because Jesus didn't do either yeah. one of those. Yeah, and he. Oh man, you look at his ministry, and half of the parables, maybe more than half. I don't know. Quote me. I don't care. He's calling out Pharisees like literally he's calling out Pharisees. And I man, I remember. So me and my brother, we went to the same high school. He's three years younger than me. So when I was a senior in high school, he was what a sophomore. And I remember sitting at lunch, getting a text from my brother. And he's like, hey, man, can you come like sit next to me? I'm having a debate about evolution with my friends. And I need I need someone who knows what they're talking about. And I'm like call me in like tap me in let's go like sub me in i got this coach put me in the game buzzer beater like i was i remember getting up from where i was sitting and walking over with this sense of superiority like i'm about to go destroy these sophomores so i sit down there and these kids don't know jesus there are three kids that don't know jesus and i remember attacking them ruthlessly not because i wanted them to know jesus not because i wanted them to become Christians. I wanted to show them that I was better, Mm -hmm. that I knew more and maybe out of some miracle that they knew I was better. Maybe they would want to be like me and become a Christian. Yeah. And I look back at that moment, my senior year and am filled with literal shame. Like when I talk about, I was stupid back in high school. That was the type of, that was the demeanor that I had with people. Yeah. Those that was how I went into conversations. And I mean, what I've noticed in Christian culture, and this is just what I've noticed, so maybe take it with a grain of salt. But it seems to be that the debate between reformed Calvinist people and non-reformed Calvinist people has replaced the conversation about the gospel. Yeah. I remember getting out of my car at my old college, not Southeastern college before that. And the first question I was asked by someone on campus was you're that reformed guy, right? That was the first thing I was asked. It wasn't anything about Jesus. It wasn't anything like about my life. It wasn't, what is your name? Yeah. It was, you're that reformed guy, right? And I became more known based off what I believed in my theology, quote unquote, than I did for how I walked with Jesus and my character. Yeah. And man, that's difficult. Well, and, and hear this, like this is coming from two people that are pursuing our MDIFs. And so these are like Vic and I both highly value education, pursuing intellect, like knowing more, not just on a heart level, but also an intellect, uh, intellectual level of Jesus. At the same time, if theology is a pursuit of who Jesus is, you should look and smell and sound like Jesus. Yeah, you should look like the one who you are pursuing. And so yeah. when the aroma that we give off in our conversations, in our debates, in our life does not look, sound, or act like Jesus, 
that means that we have now hmm. lost Jesus and the theology, which like if you think about it, that you can study someone so intimately and completely miss the point because the study of your theology yeah. is first and foremost meant to affect your heart and your life and your mind. That yeah. that is if, if if you spend your entire life studying theology and all it and all it does for you is give you a deeper love and knowledge for God, it has done its purpose. If you never get the the letters at the front of your name, if you never get the degree, if you never get the recognition, if you never get to beat that person in a debate, but you just love Jesus more, that is the purpose of studying theology. Yeah, that's good. I know I want to move on to this next thing here in a second, but real briefly, um, a couple of years ago, so as some of you guys know, I have a podcast uh, that I have recently stopped, Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. I've really loved it. And there came a period in that podcasting journey during that like humbling period at Southeastern where I got punched in the face over and over and over again. And God was resisting me hardcore, right? Trying, trying to like humble me to the point to where I could function and instead of wanting to win debates, know Jesus more like God was trying to get me there to sanctify me to look more like him. And there came a point where I realized, and this was the tagline for my podcast, Bringing Grace to the Nations. I put it on mugs. I have a mug in my kitchen that says this. It says, theology without the Great Commission is useless. And if we live our Christian life and we lose the command, the commission to go and share the gospel with all nations, to cite baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if we lose that, then the theology, the knowledge of it all becomes pointless. It, it, it is literally meaningless. Um, Reagan, a question that I have for you, yeah. this might be a good way to kind of transition here. How do we, how do we notice, what are some of the warning signs in our life that indicate, hey, I think I might be starting to lose Jesus in my theology. What are some things that you can pinpoint in your life? Because if I could have pinpointed those back in the day, I would have been a much happier person <laughs> back then. <laughs> um, I think it's different for every person. I, th I think if I look back into high school, um, I think it's like when you are, what's the goal of your theology? Is it to know Jesus more or is it to win an argument? Um, and so the ends don't always justify the means. Um, especially when it comes to theology and how we interact with other people. I think for me right now, um, I, I think this will hit with more people kind of outside of seminary, but um, man, honestly, apathy. Apathy is kind of a red flag that's coming up. So I think like I've been, I've been in seminary for about two, two and a half years now and I'm hitting like grad school fatigue. I'm tired, man. Like, and understanding the privilege that it is to go and to study God's word. And man, to also look like for the majority of the last two years, I've treated it as a chore. Um, I've treated it as the extra thing on the end of my life that like, man, I'm just trying to get this over with um, because it's just, it takes up a lot in my life. Um, and I'm like, man, like that's not normally how I would treat Jesus. Um, and so man, like, yes, there's obviously days when like you're apathetic towards the Lord. But I'm like, when apathy becomes a consistent pattern, when we walk into God's house, when we open up his word, 
when we walk into a classroom to learn more about him, like not to get a grade, but to, to understand more about Jesus. Man, ap- apathy is a sign that it's like, man, my heart in this area has drifted away from the goal of knowing Jesus more. Um, and it's drifted into something that I'm like, I don't really care about as much. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah th- I mean, apathy's huge. Cause I treat, you know, I can, I'm not taking classes this semester uh, for a handful of reasons, bless the Lord. <laughs> but like, even in the fact that I'm celebrating not taking classes, because I have celebrated more this semester not taking classes yeah. than understanding the privilege that I have to be able to engage in a school that has some of the best professors in the world, yeah. that has some of the smartest theologians that I'll ever meet. Like those two things don't carry equal weight in my eyes. And that's something they that have to be aware of. So I think apathy is huge. I think at least for me, this was something that was huge and I didn't notice in the moment, but looking back, I think was pretty massive in my life, especially going into Southeastern thinking that I knew it all, thinking that seminary was just going to reaffirm what I already believed and knew about God. When my pride in class was hurt, whether I got a question wrong or the professor kind of kind of called me out for not having the right answer or another student especially was had a better more developed answer when someone else in the class's prayer was a little more eloquent than mine and my pride got hurt those were signs that i cared far more about people's external perception of how much i knew jesus than i actually cared about me knowing jesus and i think i mean when we talk about praying publicly, okay, there are times in every person's life where you are comparing yourself to another person in the group thinking, man, my prayer wasn't as good as oh, theirs. The or, man, my prayer is way better yeah. than theirs. Right. Yeah. And it's like, we all think that. And those are small signs that we care more about external perception because we want to sound like we know Jesus more than the next person than we do about our actual relationship with Jesus. That's a warning sign. Yeah. That's a red light. Yeah. Like when that happens, when you're apathetic, you need to be able to notice it. You need to have people in your life to call it out. When your pride starts to get dinged a little bit, when people are a little bit better than you at something, that's a warning sign. Yeah. And we have to be aware of them or we're going to fall into this trap that I fell into for years. Yeah. Years and years and years. Well, and I think as we kind of wrap up here. I think this is a helpful way to wrap up. Like, I think this goes back to something we talked about, like maybe two or three episodes ago, but just this desire to have a deep walk with Jesus. Like whether you are a pastor, not a pastor in seminary, not in seminary, it doesn't really matter. All of us should desire to have a really deep walk with Jesus and to want to not lose him and the different aspects and areas of our life. Like that's something Vic you talked about at the beginning of the episode. Like it's not just losing Jesus in your theology. But man, like you can lose Jesus in your church. You can lose Jesus in your politics. You can lose Jesus in like all these other areas of life that I'm like, man, I genuinely want Jesus to be at the center of everything that I do. And if theology is the study of him, like that's like, that's like writing a book and not putting the main character in it. Like it is like, it's, 
it completely defeats the whole purpose. Um, yeah. And I'm like, that's yeah. where like whatever aspect you're walking into, whether it's like it's it's church life, it's 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 grad school, it's pastoral ministry, whatever it is, like having Jesus legitimately at the center of it, a great place to start is just simply with prayer. That like yeah. our hearts would continue to pursue him and to desire him and to love him, um, whether it's theology or whatever we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think prayer is huge. You know, like I've said before, I'm a fan of practical, literal prayers. Yeah. And so voicing your thoughts directly and plainly to Jesus is some of the best prayers that we can pray, especially when it's from a stance of confession or pleading with Jesus to help us get through this. I think another step to take, especially once you've noticed these things in your life, is worship. There is nothing more humbling than worship. And I'm talking both communally yeah. and privately. There's a song. So Jesus at the center of it all is like a perfect song. If y'all don't know it, look it up. It's great. But there's a song called Simple Gospel. It's by United Pursuit. And the first kind of phrase of the song is, I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. And I sit under that song. And when I'm reminded of how much Jesus loves me and how much he sacrificed for me to know him, it is a sobering and humbling experience. And so I think prayer and worship, as as much as those are middle school Jesus answers as you can get, they are real and they are practical. Yep pray real literal prayers and sit under worship songs that cause your posture to turn towards God, because you will be reminded very quickly as Job was in the four chapters that God absolutely blasted Job in his book, that you are sitting under a massive, powerful, loving, gracious, righteous, and holy God. And whatever you have to bring to the table is chump change compared to all that he has planned and all that he has already accomplished. Yeah. And so when you remember those things, I think uh, I think we have a better understanding of of God yeah. and hopefully reorient ourselves to love him and serve him better. Dude, I, I love that you just mentioned worship and I hate that you just mentioned worship with like five minutes left in this podcast because I'm I'm ready to go for like another 50 now. <laughs> Let's go. <'Cause>, Let's go. Because <laughs> I'm like, dude, this is this is something that I've been preaching to myself and preaching to our students for years, but that worship without knowledge is aimless and knowledge without worship is heartless. And so like Woo-hoo! worship, That's worship good. without knowledge you're following every feeling. Like as Katy Perry says, you're just a plastic plastic bag that's floating through the wind. You're just, you, <laughs> you go from emotion, camp high to camp high. Like if you don't know mm-hmm. God intellectually, how do you know what you're worshiping if you don't know him? Like yeah. worship yeah. without knowledge is aimless, but knowledge, if it doesn't lead you to worship is completely devoid of heart. Um, yep. And it's like, we have a lot of intellectual Christians that have no heart. And I think what Vic is saying is really right. Is it a fruit of that? Worship will humble you, it will anchor you, it will get you, like singing these songs and prayer will get you to a place of worship. But man, also like worship is a fruit 
the like that knowledge produces. Yeah. So like man, knowing more things about God should produce a more vibrant worship life. And bro, I am not talking about raising your hands in church. Worship is a lifestyle. Yeah. It is not the 15 minutes of stuff that we do on Sunday morning. Like God is to be worshiped in every facet of our life. 15 minutes ain't enough. And that doesn't mean we only mm-hmm. play Mav City songs and go on for 30 minutes. Like it is, it is <laughs> prayer. It is your lifestyle. It is the way you sing. And when you grow in the knowledge, your worship life as a worshiper of Jesus Christ will grow. And that is a, the fruit reflects yeah. the root. That is a fruit of the root of knowing the Lord. Yeah. And I think, I think a huge piece of this, and you, you touched on it a little bit, and so I want to dive just a little bit deeper into it, is it's not just raising our hands, because when we are corporately worshiping, it is very easy for us to fall into the same trap of, I am the most spiritual person in the Ooh. room, because my hand is five feet Uh-oh. higher than everyone Uh-oh. else. And so this is where private worship comes into play. This is where private prayer comes into play. Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount says, I don't care about your eloquent words. Stop trying to look better than everyone else because you're not. Take the the giant log out of your own eye before you point out the speck in someone else's. Private worship, public worship. Worship is meant to be in community and public, but there is something to private worship because you are not trying to show off to your neighbor. Mm Mm-hmm. You're not trying, even subconsciously, we fall into this temptation. In private worship, that's not even an option. So that's why that needs to become, especially if you're in ministry and you're pastoring people and you're shepherding people, private worship needs to be a spiritual discipline. Amen. It needs to be something that is actively a part of your life because if it's not, worship turns into a show rather than a reflection of what God has done for you. And I know this is not on worship. I want to do a whole podcast on worship. I just, my, my, my whole, my heart's racing now. Do you? I, I really do. I'm so excited. <laughs> but like, do you want to know why corporate worship is so important? Because it isn't just to, it isn't to show off to people. It is to show people Jesus. So like when I walk yeah. in and man, I've had a really hard week. Like I need to see the joy I need to see people raising their hands. I need to be, I need to see people falling on their knees, not so that I think that person is awesome, but I am reminded that God is not just moving in my own life. He is moving in the lives of other people. So while I'm on my soapbox, when we're walking into church and we see people, man, like mumbling the words, hands in our pockets, like what does that reflect about the God that we serve? Like it is not a sin to not raise your hands in church, but your worship will reflect your view of God. It will reflect your knowledge yeah. of God. So like it is, it is a fruit that reflects the root. And man, I need to see the fruit of worship that drives me back to the root of Jesus. I need that yeah. man. Um, and corporate yeah. worship is just not something that we steward. It's like, all right, put the most talented musician up there. Like, put the Holy spirit fog, dim the lights down and that's worship. And like, those are great things. That's very different than worship. Um, yeah. And man, like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go off on a tangent here, but, um, yeah, yeah. It's, but it's, it's so good because we often lose Jesus in our theology because we neglect things like worship. We lose Jesus in our worship, man. 
Um, okay. I mean, like you said, this is a whole episode. It's a whole episode. This is a whole episode. It's a whole, but uh, it's a whole but episode. I'm a, so I'm gonna stop myself. I'm gonna make this one thing. This is why lyrics matter. This is this is why <laughs> this is why lyrics matter, man. We can we can lose Jesus in our worship songs that we are singing yeah. to an idea or a, a, a melody of someone. If the lyrics are not exalting Christ, do not sing the song. If yep. the lyrics if, are not, if you are a church member, if you are a church member and you are just blindly reading the words off the screen, you should stop doing that. Yeah. If you're a pastor, if you're especially if you're a worship pastor, the songs that you choose to lead the people in, you need to pray over yeah, and check to make sure that they are leading the congregation, shepherding the congregation to look more like Christ. Yeah. Rather than focusing on self, how many times have we sung worship songs that are significantly more focused on us rather than Jesus? Worship has nothing to do with us and absolutely everything to do with Jesus. Yeah. And that's the posture we have to go into. Um, You will probably see an episode on worship soon. <laughs> Bro, I'm gonna call you tomorrow and be like, "Hey, we need to record on that." Like, that's it. Hey, let's. let's it has been yeah. one of the most significant, if not the most significant, thing that God has taught me over the last two, two and a half years. Um, and I've just seen the fruit of that in my own life. It, it has caused me to know and love Jesus more through the vehicle of worship. Yeah. And like, man, like our churches need that. I need it. They need it. Yeah, we need it. Pastors need it. Seminary students need it. Workplace. Young adults need it. Yeah. Everyone needs it. And yeah, that's good. Awesome. Well, man, 45 minutes on, on, uh, dang, losing Jesus in theology. It wasn't as sad of an episode as I thought it was going to be. I was actually a little, I, w- <laughs> I was like, this could be a sad episode, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. We got, bi- we it got wasn't. big Bibles and we Y'all, thank lie. you. <laughs> we got big Bibles and we cannot lie. We need to find that song and just layer it into the uh to the end of this podcast absolutely we not. might get copyright claims um and i have been copyright claimed before and it's not fun so thank you guys so much for, for watching you can find us on social media tiktok we're posting tons of stuff over there at sanctified dash ish uh we post podcast clips but we also are going to start doing some kind of tiktok exclusive content short form stuff so you're not going to want to miss it go follow us say hi in the comments we would love to meet you guys you can email us sanctifiedish at gmail.com we want to read what you have to say and so send it our way guys it was a pleasure we'll see you guys next friday until then take care and god bless love y'all